This morning, we're taking a step away from uh, 1 Samuel, and we're going to be looking at a psalm, Psalm 130. So if you want to grab your Bibles and turn there, we'll start by reading the psalm, and then we'll pray, and then we'll, we'll jump into it. So Psalm 130, this is kind of a, a short psalm, but a, a very important one. Um, so pay attention as we read. Out of the depths... I cry to you, O Lord, O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord, more than watchmen for the morning more than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this psalm. Thank you for the opportunity that we have this morning to to look at this, to hopefully understand what, what David is saying. Lord, we, uh, we thank you that you are merciful, that you are loving, that you grant your forgiveness to us. Lord, without it, we, we would be in a, a terrible state. None of us would be able to have any hope for the future. None of us would, would even have hope for the day if there weren't a way that we could be right with you. Lord, we, uh, we thank you that through your son you have provided that way. And Lord, uh, we just ask that, that as we uh, take this time to consider your word, that you would move in our hearts, that you would move in our minds to to worship you and to, um, to marvel at your love and your forgiveness and then to, to bestow that, that same love and that same forgiveness on those around us. Um, Lord, we, we ask that you would change us by looking at your word this morning. Lord, we ask that you would uh, use your spirit in us to, to help us to see how uh, these words apply to our own lives and how we can apply them to those around us. Lord, we, uh, we commit this, this time to you in your name. Amen. The psalm starts out in, in a bad place. If you look at verse 1, it says, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. And this raises a question, what is he talking about here? The, the depths. Have, have you ever felt low? Have you ever felt down? There's a, lot of, uh, there's a lot of times in our lives where we have these experiences where we, where we would use those kinds of explanations. I'm feeling down. I'm feeling low. I feel like I'm in the depths. Now, there, there are various reasons that we might say those things. Maybe it's just circumstances in life. Maybe 
you know, you're, you just got laid off or maybe somebody that you love has just passed away or um, there's, there's a myriad of reasons why we might use that kind of language. The interesting thing here in the psalm, though, is that these depths that he's talking about are not um, just a, a general sense of the word, but he's, he wants to get specific with us here in this psalm. The writer wants us to see that we can be brought into the depths by our sin in particular. Um, why, why do I say that? Well, because the answer that we're going to see in this psalm for being in the depths is forgiveness. The answer isn't um, perseverance through hard struggles in your life. The answer isn't uh, other things, but the answer that this particular psalm is dealing with is God's forgiveness. And why would we be focused on God's forgiveness? Well, because we need to be forgiven, which implies that we've sinned. And so the, the depths that we start out here in, in this psalm, um, are the depths of sin. So this psalm has a, a particular uh, theme to it. it. It's sin and it's forgiveness. And this is something that is, is common to everyone, right? Um, how many of us have lived the perfect life this last week? <laughs> Raise your hand. Nobody? What? Yeah. <laughs> It just doesn't happen. Um, and so this particular psalm is, is pretty uh, applicable to all of us. And it's applicable for all of our life. Because this is something that we're going to deal with today and for the rest of our life. And it is a, a, a problem that is common to man and, and Thank God we have this psalm because it, it tells us what we can do to take care of this problem. Now, the, the goal of this psalm is to inspire worship in the reader. Uh, we, we see, we go from being in the depths and then we see this forgiveness that God grants. But the way that this psalm ends is imploring us to worship and to remember, and to put our hope in God. And so the, the main goal of this psalm is, is to inspire worship, but also the psalm provides an example for us. It provides uh, information on, on what it means to be forgiven. It gives us an example that, that we can follow in our own lives. So there's kind of a, a twofold goal to this psalm. One is worship. And the other is see what God has done for you and then practice it with other people. So there's a, a real practical application here too. And, and as I said, this, uh, this goal of, of getting us to, to worship God and this um, example that he gives is all centered around the theme of forgiveness. So as we look at this, we're going to talk a little bit of 
background information about the psalm. Um, but then we're going to look more closely at those depths. Then we're going to see the incredible forgiveness that the Lord offers. And then finally, we'll talk about the response that we should have to that forgiveness. So let's start out with uh, a little bit of background information. Uh, if you look at your Bible, um, this maybe probably is uh, labeled as a psalm or a song of ascents. And you may be thinking, well, what in the world does that mean? Um, to ascend means to go up or to become higher. Um, there were several times throughout the year that people would make pilgrimages uh, to the city of Jerusalem. There were several feasts that the Israelites uh, all observed. And if possible, a lot of people would go, they would make this pilgrimage to the city of Jerusalem to worship God, to, to be there for these feasts, to be at the temple. And this and other Psalms of Ascent, uh, Psalm 130 is just one of 15 Psalms of Ascents that are all kind of grouped together there in, in the book of Psalms. These were Psalms that, that these pilgrims would, would recite or would rehearse as they are making their way to Jerusalem. Um, now you may be thinking, well, why, why Ascent? Because Jerusalem was a city on top of a hill. And so as they are ascending to the city of Jerusalem, they would be, um, they would be rehearsing these psalms that gave them uh, hope in the Lord, that helped them to remember who it is that they are going to worship. Not only would they uh, most likely repeat these on the way to Jerusalem, but then if they were to visit the temple, there were stairs leading up to the temple. And it's commonly thought that... Um, that they would pause on each step and rehearse one of these psalms of ascents. In fact, that tradition still carries on today, and there are still some that uh, go and um, go to the side of, of the temple, and there's stairs, and they ascend those stairs and recite these psalms as they go up. So that's kind of the the history of this psalm, and. This one in particular, um, I've always kind of liked this one. <laughs> it, it stood out to me because I think that this, this message of forgiveness is, is central to the message of the gospel. And I think it's interesting that this message was, was clear to the people um, way back then, <laughs> in the time of David. And, you know, a lot of times I, I think of the Old Testament as like, well, you know, they didn't quite understand what was going on with salvation and all that kind of stuff back then because, you know, God um, hadn't fully told them uh, just, you know, the, all the details about the Messiah and exactly what he was going to do. But then you read a psalm like this and you see, no, they, they understood what forgiveness is. Yeah, they, they hadn't seen for themselves the Messiah. They didn't know exactly who Christ is or exactly what he was going to do, but they understood this concept really well, that they needed 
forgiveness from their sins. So this, this song of ascents draws our attention or should draw our attention to the God that we love and the God that we serve. That was its intended purpose back then. And I think that's what it still uh, should, should cause us to do is to, to draw our attention, to draw our worship to God. So looking at the first couple of verses again, uh, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. As I said, there, there are many things that would cause us to um, say that we are in the depths. But this psalm in particular is talking about the depths that our sin can cause. Now, you may be thinking, I, I still don't quite understand what you're talking about here, Ryan. Um, well, how many of you have ever committed some sort of sin and then, you know, it was just a little thing, but then somebody kind of calls you on it or you realize that you've, you've sinned, you've done something wrong. So then you come up with this brilliant idea. It's amazing. If you haven't tried it, tried it you probably will sometime. But you, you decide, you know what? I did that little sin and, and somebody's calling me on it. Somebody, or somehow you, you realize it. And then your brilliant deduction is, in order to take care of this sin, you know what I should do? I'll sin some more. So I told a little lie to this guy and now he's saying, oh, but what about this? Oh, quick, let's see, let's think of something. And you lie again. Brilliant. To cover up that sin, you sinned again. Good job. And then, whew, out of that situation, but a little while longer, it comes up again, right? And then you go, oh, yeah, that's right. I sinned and then I sinned to cover up that sin. So now, huh, what should I do? Oh, I know. I'll sin again. Great idea, right? And so you tell another lie and then you do something else and then you sin and then you sin, 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 sin. And all of a sudden, where are you? You're in the depths of sin. You are digging a hole deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. And all along you're thinking, I am brilliant. But then sooner or later, what happens? It all comes crashing down, right? You can't sustain that forever. And when you come to that point where it all comes crashing down and you look up and you realize, I, I have blown it. That's the depths of sin. And, and you're there at the bottom and you're looking at all this stuff that you've done to get yourself there. And it's just like, uh, what do I do? Do you keep on sinning? No, don't. <laughs> You're already in the depths. There, there's something better that you can do. Don't dig the hole deeper. Or what about this? Like, 
What if you know that you should be doing something, but you don't do it? Maybe it's a, a, a parenting thing. Like you, you know that you should be helping your child understand something. Or, or maybe it's a relationship thing. You know you should be kinder to this person, but you, you aren't or you don't do it. And you just, it, it's an omission. It's a, it's a failure to do what you know you should do. And then as time goes on, you just keep on in that track. You, you fail. You continue to omit, omit what you should be doing. And, and after a while, it builds up to where, you know, if you're parenting, um, like now your kid is just out of control. And you're like, you, you come to this realization like, ah, I should have, <laughs> I should have been doing this all along, but I haven't. You know, and, and now we're in this, this spot where it's like, Ugh, how do I take care of this now? You're down in the depths because of a failure to do what you should have been doing all along. Or you get to this point with, with a relationship where it's like, you realize, oh man, I have blown it. And I have missed so many opportunities to do the right thing and I haven't done it. And, and now it's hard. You know, one thing that, that it kind of makes me think of too is like a failure to share the gospel. You know, if, if you have somebody who you're like, hmm, I should share the gospel with this person, but then you don't, and then the next time you see them, I should share the gospel with this, eh, well, I'll wait. And it goes on, weeks, months, years. And then you finally get to that point where you're like, I really need to do this. Like you should have been doing it all along and now you're in the depths and now it's going to be even harder to, to break that barrier, to get out of there, right? There's this, this tendency that sin has in our lives is to bring us down, 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 down into the depths. So what do we do? How do we get out of there? Well, what's the Psalm say? He says, out of the depths, I cry to you, O Lord. Now this isn't like crying like a baby, but this is like, I cry out for help. Help, I, I'm, I'm down here, I'm drowning in the depths and God, I need your help. Help me, please, help. Lord, I, I need you. And, and that sounds so simple and yet why is it the last thing we do? Or maybe it's just me. Because a lot of the times I don't say, Lord, I need you. A lot of the times I say, Ryan, I need you. I need you to figure out a really good way to get out of this. I need you to figure out um, how I, I can make this better. Come on, Ryan, I need you. And am I crying out to the right person? No, I'm not. And... and 
I fail. And then I get lower. What do we need to do? We need to cry out to the Lord in the midst of our sin. In the depths of our sin, he is the one who can help. Oh Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. Here's one of the, the crazy things that happens when we are caught in our sins. It, why is it the last thing that we want to do is cry out to God? Why is it that the last thing we want to do is say, Lord, just have mercy. I've blown it. And I'm in the depths. It's that stubborn sin nature that is in each and every one of us that just wants us to look anywhere but to God who can truly help us. And yet this, this psalm tells us the answer. If you're in the depths, cry out to the Lord. Plead with him. Plead with him for mercy. Say, Lord, please listen to me and have mercy on me. And I don't know, you know, what's going on in your life right now, but I would bet that there is some aspect of your life, some relationship or something that you are going through where there is sin in your life and what you need to do is stop and cry out to God for help. Say, help me in this. I've been trying to do this all, all by myself. Or maybe you have, haven't even been trying to stop. You've just been going. You've been digging that hole. Stop and cry out to God. Well, what, what is God's response? It's a good one, and it, it shows us the true depths of where we are. He forgives us. Now, this is a, a, an interesting concept, forgiveness. Forgiveness implies what? That we've done something wrong, right? It, you only need forgiveness if you've really done something wrong. If you haven't done anything wrong, then you don't need forgiveness. And the lie that, that we hear a lot nowadays is, you're fine. You're okay. You're a good person. But that's a lie. We do sin. We do things wrong. We need forgiveness. The, the lie that our culture sells is you're okay and you don't need to ask forgiveness from anybody. You do your own thing and if somebody else has a problem with you, it's because of them. You're fine. Just keep going. And is that truth? Absolutely not. We actually need forgiveness because we sin. There is no such thing as living a good enough life to, uh, to deserve heaven or to deserve a relationship with God. There is no such thing as living a good life. 
Romans 3.23 says what? Hopefully somebody knows. I hear some mumbles. Yes, good. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? Yeah, all, all of us, we all sin. First Peter 1, 15 through 16 sets up a standard for us. In that Peter says, be holy because God is holy. The standard for our life is holiness. The problem with our life is Romans 3.23, we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, some people go through life and, and they have this idea that, well, I can really just, um, I can reach that standard of holiness just by doing good things. But think about this for a second. Um, if the standard is perfection, right here, here's the standard. It's holiness. It's complete perfection. It is be holy because I am holy. That's what God says. So we don't start out up here at perfection. But let's just pretend that we do, okay? Let's, let's pretend that at the, at the start of our life, we got the standard of perfection and we're right here. It's not how it is because we're all born sinners, but let's just pretend for a second. So now the first time you sin, what happens? Boop. You go down. The standard stays the same. Perfection, right? So now you're down here. First time you sin. So now how do, how do you make up that difference? Do you just do some good stuff? Well, here's, here's the thing. If you do some good stuff, what are you doing? You're only living up to the standard, so you don't actually go up. You just kind of stay where you are because living holy is the standard. So if you're doing that, you just stay at this point. You can't get higher because you, you might think, well, I'll do some extra good. Extra good? There is no extra good. If you do extra good, that's actually just you doing the standard good. So it doesn't like, it doesn't bump you up at all, no matter how much good you do, because the standard is complete holiness. So now maybe you do a lot of good stuff for a long time, but then you sin again and you go down and you're further away from that standard, but oh, but I'm going to do some really good things. Well, great, but that just holds you level. It doesn't bring you back up. And you just keep on going lower and lower and lower and lower and further away from the standard of perfection. And just by doing good things, there is no way to get back up. Because if you lived a completely holy, good life, it would just be a straight line. You would never go up when we're talking about righteousness, when we're talking about the standard of God's holiness, you, there's no way to gain. So, so this myth of, well, I can, I can be a good person, I can live a good life and achieve that standard of holiness, it's, it's just that, it's a myth, it's a lie. It can't be done. 
because every single thing that you do brings you further and further and further down. We need something else because we can't do it. We can't attain righteousness. And not only can we not attain righteousness and, and we just keep on working further and further away from it, but then Romans 6.23 comes into mind. And that's one that you guys probably know too. Romans 6.23 says what? The wages of sin is death, right? So not only is there no way for us to, to get up here, but then we have to realize that the fact that we haven't attained that standard of righteousness, of holiness, means that we're dead. We're dead meat. And there's no hope. There's no hope in and of myself. Like, I can't can't do it. The only thing that I have to look forward to is death, is punishment. That's it. And this is, in another sense, the depths of sin. That realization that, man, I am a sinner, and the only thing that I can do is nothing. I can't attain, you know, to, to the standard of holiness. And, and because I can't, and, and as part of the punishment for my sin, I'm guilty, I'm dead, I am deserving of an eternity in hell. If you, O oh Lord, should mark iniquities, O oh Lord, who could stand? Verse 3. The psalmist has come to this point where he's, he, he has seen the depths of his sin and his depravity, and he's crying out to God. And why is he crying out to God? Because without God, he is hopeless. And he's, he's telling us a little bit about the character of God here when he says, Oh, Lord, should... You mark iniquities, oh Lord, who could stand? Now, now, what does that mean? Well, basically what he's referring to here is if God had this list and he had your name on it and he said, all right, I'm going to keep track of Ryan's life and here's my standard, holiness, and here's Ryan, he doesn't even start out holy, but now what? It's just a downhill slide from there. And if, if God, you know, kept that record and that is how he saw me, I would be crushed. I would have no hope. Uh, when I leave this world and, and went before him, there would be nothing that I could say or do to cancel out that record because all of my iniquities would be marked against me. 
But is that what God does? In some sense, yes. But in some sense, no. The psalmist says, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? He's admitting, like, if this is the way it worked, nobody would be able to stand. But what is he implying? He's implying that it actually doesn't work like that. God doesn't mark our iniquities against us if we have put our faith in Jesus Christ. There's a big if. <laughs> what does that mean? He doesn't mark our iniquities. Does that mean that he doesn't see them? Does he not see our sin? Does he not know that I sin? Does he not know that you sin? Well, it's not that he doesn't know. He knows. He's omniscient. He sees, right? But this, this idea of marking sins against us is more like, if you think of it as a uh, financial record. Um, some of you may still keep a, a checkbook and a like written balance sheet for your checkbook. Uh, people in my generation and younger go, checks? What are checks? Actually, we still use checks sometimes. But, um, but that's kind of the idea here is that uh, if you think of it as a financial um, kind of tally sheet, it's not that God doesn't see our sins and doesn't, you know, write them down. Like if I buy something from Walmart and then I go to Fred Meyer and whatever, like those transactions are there. But here's the thing. If they're paid for, if I have money to cover them, then they're, they're, they're covered, they're bought. They are, um, in essence, they are not marked against me because they are paid. Does that make sense? Now, if I didn't have the money to cover those, then they would be marks against me because I would still be owing on them. There would be debts. But here's the cool thing. God sees everything that happens in our life, and there is a checkbook, if you will, a register. But the cool thing is they are not marked against us, they're marked as paid. And, you know, to kind of further this idea, um, if you think of your bills, like you may have a stack of bills and you have a stack of bills to pay and maybe you have a stack of bills that have been paid and they're filed away somewhere. What this is referring to is the fact that um, if God were one to, to take all of our iniquities and all of our sins and mark them against us, they would all be in the pile of bills to pay. But what the psalmist is saying is they're not. They're not in that pile. They're actually in the pile of bills that have been paid that are not being held against us. Are they there? Are they real? Yes, they're there, they're real, but they've been bought with, they, they've been paid. We don't have to worry about them. 
what he is getting at here is the fact that God forgives. We all have marks against us. We all have iniquities that should be there in the bill to pay pile, but they're not. And how do I know that? Because verse four says this, but with you there is forgiveness. Forgiveness? Yeah, forgiveness, which means those things that should be held against us are not. They're marked as paid, paid in full. Colossians 2, 14 through 15 says this. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. You get that? Having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. What happens to all these bills? How can they be marked as paid? What God sees everything against it, me, he sees all my sins. He, he sees the debt that I owe. It's there. It's real. But what's happened to it? It's been canceled. It's been marked, paid in full. And how? It got nailed to the cross. Pretty amazing, isn't it? And it's not just that my sins are covered, but it's that your sins are covered too. They're nailed to the cross. And so, so God doesn't count those things against me. And I can cry out to him in the depths of my sin because really... From God's perspective, I'm in the same place I always have been. For me, I feel like I'm getting deeper and deeper and deeper into sin, and it's harder and harder for me to get out of it. But to God, he's like, that's no problem. I can take care of that. And in fact, I have taken care of it. It's nailed to the cross. And so just turn to me. Cry out for forgiveness, and it's there. I'm not going to go, oh, well, Ryan, you know, you've been building up a <laughs> quite a list here. And so in order for you to get out of the depths of your sin, you're going to have to do this, and you're going to have to do that. And you... No. It's paid for. <laughs> so why on earth would I not turn and say, ah, oh, Lord, forgive me, help me. Because there's no reason for me not to. You ever have trouble going to talk to somebody because there is like a, a gap in the relationship? Maybe you guys have been fighting or maybe there's 
um, something that's gone on in your relationship that has caused a distance. And when we come to each other and there's, there's a distance there, it's hard to talk. It's hard to break through that, that gap or that distance. But what this is saying is that there is no distance between you and God. If your sins are forgiven, if they are paid. If you have put your faith in Christ, they're nailed to the cross and there's no distance. No matter how deep you are, you call out to God and you are forgiven. And you're right there. He's right there. I love that little word there at the start of verse four, but. Some of the greatest truths in the Bible start with that word. There are great buts in the Bible. If you were to read through the Bible and, and look at, you know, just look for but, especially in the writing of Paul, it's amazing to see uh, the truths that are, that are communicated because most of the time it, it follows this pattern of, I am in trouble, but. And then it says something amazing about what God does. And in this psalm, I am in trouble. I am in the depths of my sin. But with you, there's forgiveness. And the psalmist is, is recognizing this in his own life. And he's trying to get us to recognize too the answer to sin is to cry out to Jesus because there is forgiveness. It's there. So do it. Cry out to him. Turn to him. Don't continue in your sin. And the result of this is interesting. But with you there is forgiveness, verse 4, that you may be feared. This word feared, is, it has to do with worship. It has to do with awe. And what he's saying is, when you've gone through this process, when you've been in the depths of sin and you've turned to God and realized his forgiveness, what's your response? It should be fear of the Lord. <laughs> awe and wonder. Because, oh my goodness, I rightly could be condemned for this, whatever it is that I've done. And I, you know, if it were just left up to me, I would be hopeless and helpless. And, and yet the God of the universe has, has chosen to forgive me and he chose to send the Messiah, send his son to take that punishment that I deserve away from me. And so what's my response to that? My response should be oh, fear. It should be wonder. It should be awe. It should be worship. Thank you, Lord. And, and the rest of the psalm continues in that vein. It says, Verse five, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits and in his word, 
I hope. What is he talking about with his word? Well, God has given his word that he will forgive. God has given his word that he loves, that he is merciful. And we need to put our hope in that. And we need to long for the Lord, long for relationship with him. Um, Verse 6 continues, my, my soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. We have such an amazing, great, forgiving, merciful, loving God. Do we long for him? Do we wait for him to, to be able to, um, to read his word, to be able to pray, to be able to increase our relationship with him? Like, are we excited about that? Do we long for it? Do we want it? The metaphor that he uses here is more than watchmen for the morning. And there's, uh, there's several different examples that, that you could uh, look at for this. One of the things that came to my mind, my kids have this series of uh, CDs that they listen to. It's Adventures in Odyssey. Anybody ever hear of those? They're Christian uh, things, and, and they're fun. But one of, one of the CDs um, talks about the writing of the Star-Spangled Banner. Um, maybe you know this, but Francis Scott Key wrote the Star-Spangled Banner, and he wrote it um, at the Battle of Fort McHenry. And it originally was a, a poem, but then it was turned into a song later. But the idea was this. Um, Francis Scott Key was held captive on a ship out in the water, and from that ship, he was watching the Battle of Fort McHenry. This was like one of the last strong points that, um, that the Americans had, that we had in the fight against the British. And had that battle been won by the British, they would have had um, open access to, to really important resources and the whole Revolutionary War could have gone a lot differently had that battle been won by the British. So here's Francis, he's out in the boat and he's watching this and he's, he's seeing the ships bombard this fort just nonstop, explosion, explosion, explosion. And it gets to be nighttime and he sees these flashes and he sees the rockets red glare as they go through the air towards the fort. And he sees the explosion and he hears boom, boom, boom in the distance and he's he's looking and he's waiting and he's like what's gonna happen and he's longing for the morning because all night long they're bombarding this fort boom 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 and then dawn breaks and what do you think he wants to see he's looking for something He's been watching all night long, and he's just waiting. Is it still there? Oh, please, God. Is it still there? What's he looking for? The flag, right? Oh, say, does that star-spangled banner still wave? 
does it? He's longing for it. He's hoping. He's going, oh, please, is it still there? And it is. And the rejoicing <laughs> that must have come when he sees through the smoke and when he sees through everything going on, it's still there. What does this have to do with our sin and God's forgiveness? Do you long for God's forgiveness? Do you wait for him? Do you long for him like that? You know, that's kind of a, a powerful image in my mind is that whole thing about the star-spangled banner. But then I have to go, wait a second, what about me and God? Do I, do I wake up in the morning going, oh, God, how am, how am I going to see you today? How am I going to, you know, experience your love today? How am I going to get to know you more today? It's something that, that we should do. We should wait. We should long for the Lord. And um, the continues, verse 7, O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love. With him is plentiful redemption. He will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. You ever hear people say the God of the Old Testament is a God of wrath and a God of judgment? It's not true. <laughs> this is the God of the Old Testament. He's steadfast in love. He has plentiful redemption. He will redeem Israel from all of their iniquities. Like this is a God, not just to be feared, but to be loved and treasured and longed for. And this is the God that we serve. And the amazing thing is that you know, to kind of step back and look at the whole theme of this psalm, we <laughs> are in the depths of sin. And yet we have a God of love. And we have a God of mercy. And we have a God who forgives. What more could we ask for? Shouldn't we long for him? with our whole heart, with our whole mind, with all of our strength? That sounds like a biblical thing to do. And it's what the psalmist is trying to inspire in us is this worship of God because he's worthy. He forgives. He cancels out our iniquities. He doesn't hold them against us. And you know, like I said at the beginning, we come around to the, the goal of this chapter. Number one is, is worship and a realization of the God who we serve. But also, if God forgives us in this way, how should we treat others? God forgives us. So then, we should remember all the wrongs of others, right? And hold them to it. Yep, that's right. It's the American way. You cross me, oh, 
Well, you're going to pay for that. Why would we do that? If we serve a loving, forgiving God, why on earth would we have that attitude towards others? You know, that's the, the practical application of this psalm is, here's God, here's what he has done for us. Now you guys go and do that for those around you. Colossians 3, 13 says this, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Look at what God has done. Now go do that for other people. And yet so often, what do we do? We are the ones who carry big piles of bills owed to us. You owe me. Oh, and you owe me. And I remember that. You owe me. My wife, she owes me big time. <laughs> Why would I do that? It's ridiculous. Forgive. Why? Because you have been forgiven. For heaven's sake. Forgive. Don't hold grudges. Don't hold sins against people. Don't carry a checkbook around with you going, you owe me this. Uh, you just sinned against me. You owe me this. God doesn't do it. And where do we get the power to forgive? Same place God does. We look to the cross and we say, you know what? God has forgiven that sin. Lord, help me to forgive it too. Help me to just cancel it. I don't want to hold it against that person. I have no right to hold it against that person. So wrapping things up here, what is Psalm 130 about? It's, it's about the God that we serve. It's, it's about worshiping him it's about realizing what he has done for us through forgiveness. But then it's about, okay, you realize this. You worship me. You long for me. Now live this out, not only in your worship for me, but in your interaction with others. Be forgiving. And don't hold things against other people. Now, does that mean that there's no interaction or discussion about a certain situation? No, it doesn't. I mean, you may have to have a hard conversation with somebody, but as you are going through that, the key is in your heart not to hold on to it as if it, it gives you a right to be upset with somebody else or as if it gives you a right to something because it doesn't. You have to let go work through the hard circumstances, but as you are doing that, forgive. Continually take those things that you're tempted to hold on to and put them under the blood of Jesus and say, eh, forgiven, forgiven, forgiven. So we're out of time. And hopefully, you know, as a result of, of looking at this Psalm, we know we serve an awesome God, a merciful, a loving God. And one of the true marks of 
somebody who really gets that is that they are loving and merciful and forgiving towards others. So I would encourage you, I would encourage me to, to live that out day to day. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the psalm. Help us to understand the incredible depths of your forgiveness, the incredible extent of it, and help us to turn that into to worship and awe and wonder of who you are. And then, Lord, help us to, to live that out in our lives, to use your example um, and to, to love others, to forgive them, to not hold on to um, ways in which we've been wronged. Um, Lord, we, uh, we thank you for your forgiveness. Lord, we thank you for your son. Lord, help us to, to love you. Help us to long to be with you, to know you more. Help us to, to wait for you like a watchman waits for the morning. We pray this in your name. Amen.